In between absolutely fruitless government shutdowns, political showboating, and hysteria in the House about a still all-smoke, no-fire Russia investigation, over 160 victims of one of the most prolific and monstrous sexual predators and pedophiles in American history came together to testify and put their demon in prison forever. It's not partisan or political or splashy or expedient, but it's the single most significant story of the week. Between MSU, USA Gymnastics, and the U.S. Olympic Committee, dozens, perhaps hundreds of heads will roll. And it's only the beginning. I'm Tiana Lowe. And I'm Avery Hogarth, and this is The Political Pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. It goes without saying why, but after this week, you'll need it. We'll get back to week 52 of Trump-Russia developments at the end, hence why we're having Moscow Mueller's. But let's focus on the story that should be dominating the next seven days of news. So, Larry Nasser. At this point, if you've not heard this name by now, you have undoubtedly just been living under a rock. Um, but to fill everyone in, if you are from the small portion of population who has not heard this, which has been dominating the news lately. Um, but should be more so. Yeah. Uh, Larry Nasser has been accused of sexually abusing and molesting over 100 uh, women and, and young girls uh, as a team doctor, doctor for USA Gymnastics as well as Michigan State University Gymnastics and a faculty member there that served as uh, someone who would teach med students and, and everything else. Uh, Tiana, what are your thoughts on all this? Let's, let's kind of outline this situation for everyone. So there are the obvious takeaways. Every young girl should hear about the story and realize that even if this does happen to you, it's not the end. The fact that these women were able to come together to conquer their worst nightmare and put him in prison for the rest of his life is an amazing feat of courage. It is an amazing display of the fact that even though our justice system is flawed, when you come together, you can't actually get something done. These women are all heroes. And then you have to ask, how did this happen? It only takes one man to rape a woman. It only takes one man to molest a little girl. But how many dozens or hundreds of people need to be actively protecting him? How good of a doctor did he have to be to be worthy of that sort of protection? So this is someone who the first allegation levied against him was in either the early 90s or the late, I think it was the yeah, early, early 90s. 90s. So we're talking about over two decades of him attacking and abusing people who's supposed to be taking care of, and nothing was done. So... Rachel Denhollander, who was the first person to go public with the abuse um, to the Indianapolis Star, she wrote a piece that was published just a couple hours before this recording in the New York Times, and she said that at least 14 coaches, trainers, psychologists, or colleagues had been warned of his abuse to begin with. A Title IX investigation at MSU in 2014 was dismissed after three months and they told the girl who brought the investigation to Title IX's attention that she clearly didn't understand the medical specificities of needing to be vaginally fingered for back treatments. The exact language used was that she hadn't understood the nuanced difference, I quote, between sexual assault and an appropriate medical procedure. That was in 2014. It's, it's why I, I think... 
especially this happens more on my side of the aisle. There's this idea that's promulgated that Title IX is this total egregious offense against men. Yeah, in cases like Mattress Girl and these random splashy stories where these deranged women make up stories about being raped. Yeah, sure, it harms men then. Uh, Title IX protected Larry Nassar for two decades. MSU protected Larry Nassar for two decades. Tell me again how it's how this is attacking all men. Well, to go to your point about, you know, it only takes one man to commit these these crimes. It arguably, in my opinion, the more damning issue here is really the institutions that are set in place, whether that's legislation, whether that's Title IX, whether that is USA Gymnastics, whether that is Michigan State University and the athletic department and even the academic department there, the institutions that protect someone like this and promulgate these instances. Yes. Um, this could have been something where it was a one-off offense and, and, and a report was filed or a, a complaint was made, which there were plenty of complaints made over the years. And... Nasser was finally taken out of the realm of possibility to being able to hurt anyone else. But instead, because of institutionalization of protecting employees and saving face of these massive entities, instead that came at the cost of 150 plus young women and young girls. And so... I think this gives a very shocking and honestly just a heartbreaking portrayal of the fact that for a lot of major organizations that it is more worthwhile to save the reputation of the organization over saving these women and young girls. But it also begs the question, this wasn't, I mean, the comparable case is, I guess, Harvey Weinstein, if we want to talk about magnitude of victims, because, I mean, there's also, I think, close to, if not 100 victims of Harvey Weinstein. But Harvey Weinstein was bankrolling his own operation. Yeah. Larry Nassar was just a doctor. He was effectively protecting himself. Yes. So so it makes sense how that continued. And, and, and on top of that, Harvey Weinstein, sure, I'm sure his greatest defenders would say he was this incredibly gifted producer. He had an eye for the art, whatever, all BS. But the point is there was something where he occupied a very unique space. There are not many people in his role. How many other, like, chiropractic doctors could have easily filled up his spot, could have filled up Larry Nasser's spot at any other time? And even, he would be sent out to Caroli Ranch in Texas, which is where um, a lot of, like, the Olympic gymnasts would be training. He wasn't even licensed in the state of Texas. He was technically practicing in a state without a license. That says more about the... I guess, conduct that goes on within national team organizations. Uh, myself, I have competed uh, in two World Cups as a national team member. Um, for lacrosse. For, for lacrosse, and I'm also a Division One NCAA athlete. So for me, this story hits very home as something that is in the realm of possibility. I understand how these institutions are made up to an extent. I have had experience with experiences with doctors. I understand the nature that would have lended itself to providing this opportunity for Nasser to assault these women and, and girls. And so when you're traveling with a national team, really there, there's hardly any regulations, right? So 
with USA Gymnastics, oftentimes, to what I could assume from, from my own experience competing on a national team, uh, you know, the governing body isn't there with the team when they're on the road, when they're training. So the governing body, the board of directors, <clears throat> pardon me, the board of directors, they, they're not there to oversee that at the time. It, when, when a team travels, it is only the necessary staff that need to be there. It's the coaches, it is the physical therapists, and, and team doctors and team managers. That's it. And so... There's a lot of deregulation that goes into that. I have had plenty of times when competing at World Cup, I've been injured a lot of the time while competing at different national team events and at, and at World Cup, and in which I have been in doctor's rooms behind closed doors with no one else there, whether you're on the road and you're in a hotel room receiving treatment or anything else in between, because most of the time that's the only way that you can really receive treatment on the road with little resources. However, on the other side of things, my experience as a college athlete, not only are you in the institution of whatever university you represent and the athletic department you represent, you are in the institution of the NCAA as an entire governing body in its whole. And so for, for that instance, it is very difficult to be able to have these private settings in which you could be molested or sexually abused. For myself, whenever I receive treatment after practice in our training room at USC, if I receive treatment for, ironically enough, you know, Nasser's big excuse to be able to molest these girls was as a result of lower back injuries. Ironically enough, I have a back injury myself. I oftentimes see a chiropractor that USC subcontracts in and calls in, uh, to supplement their care along with their physical therapy trainers that they hire full-time. And so in that instance, I am in the doctor's offices in the back room of our training room, which have doors on them. Uh, but I am not permitted to be in a doctor's office with the chiropractor without the door being open or my personal team trainer who I see every day who is with us however long we're training per day and even more than that afterwards to give us rehab without her present or without the door being open and so that everyone can see what's going on. So arguably the more damning issue to me is the allegations and, and what the conduct that happened at Michigan State University versus USA Gymnastics because the institution would have had to do so much more to cover this up and to not protect these women compared to USA Gymnastics in terms of my experience. It... To to me, it's just astounding. The the I mean, my father is a physician, so I grew up hearing all about what like, and all of, and he had so many friends who were physicians, you know, and my sister was pre med for a while, so I grew up just sort of hearing like what proper medical conduct was, things about the Hippocratic Oath. Reading these stories, Ali Reisman's testimony when she talks about being at um at these training camps. And the contracts specifically say that if you have a medical problem, you only call Dr. Nasser, and you don't call your personal coach under any circumstances off hours. He would come treat these girls in their hotel rooms alone. That isn't out of the realm of what's expected, though, on national teams, to be honest with really? you. That's the same protocol that I followed. They'd be coming to your hotel room? Yes, or I would be going to their hotel okay. room. But would you be alone? Yes, oftentimes on the road with, with the national team because... There isn't the institution there. And that's why, with Michigan State, why this is so unbelievably egregious to me. Because that defies people would have a thousand percent 
knowing that this was taking place or would have had to turn a blind eye or, or choose to be ignorant? I mean, so the entire USA Gymnastics Board has resigned and MSU President Luana Simon has also resigned. Up until yesterday, the board, so the board, the board of trustees of MSU initially came out categorically defending her. And then some private reports, I think it was um, by Michigan Wire, um, one trustee spoke to a reporter saying that they were going to back her because she was a good fundraiser. And now there's a report in The Athletic that just broke under an hour ago. Um, So National Coalition Against Violent Athletes founder Kathy Redman implied to uh, The Athletic that the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, at the time did not follow up with an inquiry regarding 37 counts of um, 37 MSU athlete sexual assault cases in 2010. He knew about this and did nothing. Perhaps, and this is the insinuation that Redmond makes in, in the article, perhaps because MSU president Lou Anna Simon sat on the NCAA Board of Governors at the time. Lou Anna, Lou Anna, if you're listening to this, I want you to know there is a special place in hell for women who do not help other women. And it's important that you know that. It's obviously Nasser is the person who committed the abuse. But to every single person who heard about it and said nothing, who heard about it, turned a blind eye, or even worse, the amount of girls who said that they would tell their coaches or even their parents and that they wouldn't even be believed. Also, why lie about it? The truth comes out when this stuff And it's not as though the guy didn't have hundreds of gigabytes of child pornography on his computers. MSU's defense to these claims when they when they first um, came out in 2016 was that this was their first time hearing these allegations. And yet, you hear about MSU officials hearing this in 2010 and in 2014 as well with yeah. different um, complaints that were made to people within the MSU athletic department and, and school community to begin with. That is completely unacceptable. And... The difficult thing is, from from a legal point of view, is that it is so hard to correctly prosecute those in terms of... There's not really a law in terms of sexual misconduct that is, uh, that is I guess, strong enough, at least, um, that prosecutes against the, the bystander effect. Uh, because, as we already said, this could have been limited to so many fewer victims had when these officials who were in a position of authority to actually do something about this and protect these women, had they acted, this could have prevented the abuse on 50 more girls. A hundred. A hundred plus. And so that not only is on the hands of Nasser, who's obviously a sick man, but he is just one person who is obviously mentally not okay, but that is on the hands of all of these able-minded people who chose to do nothing in order to save face for the institution over the faces of all these 150-plus women who have testified. Myself as an athlete, if any institution I was ever at betrayed me in that manner, I would be absolutely devastated. And I can only imagine what all of these women are feeling. And on top of that, these are women who were 
I mean, obviously, every single victim mattered. And there were cases where these were girls just at regular camps, and they had no intention of be, becoming a pro- professional athlete. But but these are Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas, Ali Raisman. These were all, Michaela Moroni, these are women who represented our country standing up to Russia and China and all these hostile foreign actors. They represented our country and still their own country. I mean, because um, USA Gymnastics operates under a special congressional charter. So it's essentially, in essence, their, their country turned their back on them when they needed them the most. So I've been seeing a lot in libertarian circles and, and conservative circles, people criticizing um, the judge's comments about saying that if there were no, um, if there were no amendment forbidding cruel and unusual punishment. Obviously, like, yes, I, I think that, so Elliot Hamilton makes a very good case that, that the reason why this is dangerous is because it means that Nasser has higher odds of appealing the sentence. I understand that argument. But then I'm seeing other people just saying, but prison isn't about punishment, it's about rehabilitation. Are you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, we, 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 we rehabilitate opioid addicts. We rehabilitate drug addicts. We rehabilitate people who have fallen upon hard times and have resorted to bad things. We do not rehabilitate serial child. And it's, and it's why I'm probably just getting less libertarian as I get older and just more hardline conservative. Sonny Bunch has this piece at the Free Beacon, and he just says, why not literally sign Larry Nasser's death warrant? And it kind of resonates with me. Like, beyond a reasonable doubt, he did all of this. I mean, I like the idea that he's to ruminate on this for the rest of his life. He's only in his 50s. And I hope he lives for a long time, and he hopes he has to think about this every single day. Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I I understand, I guess, a bit of the backlash that the that the judge received on, on some of her comments in the trial, uh, in the sentencing process. However, in the same way that I understand it, I also don't, because the bigger issue at hand here is is not the rhetoric used by the judge sentencing a a man of this nature to prison. I think at that point, does the rhetoric matter? No. Um, is it a bit dangerous in a way that maybe it could open uh, the courts up to an appeal? Yeah, maybe, but that's not the story that I personally want to focus on. I don't want to focus on the story of of two sentences that a judge said in regards to him. And I can't believe that most, that's the story for some people. Yeah, and, and what was most frustrating to me was that so Nasser wrote a letter to the judge trying to uh, get her to stop these women from their, providing their testimonies because she allowed she basically opened up the floor to anyone who wanted to come and speak to have their testimonies heard. So that's what made it so that over 150 women were able to testify at his trial. And so he wrote a note saying, essentially, let me pull up the exact quote here. In his note trying to stop these testimonies from occurring, he said, quote, I was a good doctor because my treatments worked and those patients who are now speaking out are the same ones that praised and came back. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. At that point, I think this judge can say whatever the heck she wants in sentencing him. And... The most ironic thing of it all is that, so he said this, and then tried to give some sort of... Defense for why you shouldn't have to Unauthentic plea to the jury 
um, apologizing and, and something to the effect of that there are no words to describe how sorry he is. He's I'm just ca- sorry he got caught. Exactly. And also and also him thinking like, oh, I shouldn't need to sit through like the victim impact statements because how often they worry like like how often fury like a woman scorned. First of all, also, Simone Biles does not need your money. Simone Biles is like worth nine million of you and just on endorsements alone. Um but yeah, you know what, Larry, you're right. There is hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I think that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing an army of almost two hundred women. I mean, heads will roll. People need to go to prison. After Larry, people need to go to prison. I mean, luckily, Gene, um, Senators Gene Shaheen and Joni Ernst, a Democrat and a Republican respectively, they have called to make a select committee investigating um, the United States Olympic Committee and United States Gymnastics. But I think... Where are the committees investigating Michigan State? I agree. And here's the issue that I have with all of this. We see this time and time again, and not to compare this chronic, monstrous abuse to something that we've seen at our own university, but at at USC, at the University of Southern California, the Los Angeles Times broke a huge investigative report that the dean of the Keck School of Medicine had been dealing methamphetamine and other illegal drugs to minors, doing it in his office with a prostitute, got a prostitute to OD and basically left her there, um, was seeing patients under the influence, and had been previously, before he was hired, had been charged with sexual harassment and uh, physical assault at his old job at UMiami. And the LA Times team that covered it, they were incredibly thorough. They went, it took them, I think, almost a year to cover this story. They went to uh, our university president's home, CL Max Nikias, and they delivered an envelope physically to his wife because the office wouldn't take any of, of their calls. And then once the story broke, they got rid of um, this dean, Carmen Pugliafito. And Nikias is still here. Nikias knew that there was a prominent physician representing the university horribly violating the Hippocratic Oath, on top of that, breaking, committing multiple felonies. Um, but Pugliafito was a good fundraiser, and Nikias is a good fundraiser, but Pugliafito was exposed, so now Nikias is still just here. And I, and this just happens, this happens at every university, or not everyone, but there's so many universities. Not even universities, just any, but, but I think it's a large uni- institution But in I think it's a university-specific problem, especially considering how much money in taxpayer funds universities receive. Well, especially at a state school. Especially at a state school. Like, I, at least USC is a private school. I mean, we still receive Pell Grants, we still receive um, federal donations, uh, or federal grants, but, um, but MSU being... The, if I were taxpayer of Michigan, I mean, okay, not seriously, but I mean, filing your taxes this year must feel hellacious, knowing that you've been funding this operation for decades that has been thriving off of the abuse of young girls. And apparently, according to this um, report by The Athletic, 37 other uh, cases of sexual assault at the university that no one ever investigated. It... it Lost in the woods of all of this, I'm already sort of seeing this polarization of, like, this story where people are either treating this like, oh, there's nothing to be learned from it other than just inspiration. And, like, obviously, yes, inspiration is important. But if we don't take these women's sacrifices, their willingness to be 
their willingness to put their names to their stories, to reveal themselves as not just another Jane Doe. If we don't take that and if we don't do something with it and make real institutional changes to Title IX, to the U.S. Olympic Committee, to every to these large governing bodies, to these universities, if we don't do something with it, then we have taken their pain and we have wasted it. Yeah, and even to tie that into the Me Too movement, because I think the trial sentencing of this Nasser case is uniquely very opportune for the Me Too movement and, and other things that it can encompass in, in looking at this broad spectrum of in- institutionalized sexual harassment and how they protect individuals. But what good is coming out and saying Me Too and saying, I have been sexually harassed, I have been sexually abused by whoever it may be, if no one is willing to listen or do anything about it? And so the Me Too movement as a whole, you know, focuses on women coming out, telling their stories, and making it public, taking down these men. But these women and these girls told their stories. They told the authorities who are supposed to help them, and no one did anything. So what's good about saying Me Too if it doesn't matter? And that's... And that um, there's an there's a really incredible piece in the New York Times from earlier this week, um, and it's called Hollywood uses the very women it exploited to change the subject, and it's by Amanda Hess, and it's sort of about this idea that Hollywood was found to be conducting this mass operation of the abuse of women. And you have someone like Rose McGowan who completely spearheads a movement to reveal takes on, she's selling her home in order to fund all of the lawsuits that she's facing for exposing her abuser. And Hollywood, what do they do with it? They commodify it into Time's Up pins. And even at, um, what was it, the Screen Actors Guild last weekend, they don't even invite Rose McGowan. I- I'm glad that they at least acknowledged, uh, I think it was uh, Patricia Arquette who they acknowledged, and she was one of the original Weinstein rec- accusers, and that's good. But... But if we take nothing out of this other than a flashy hashtag and acting like, oh, we just solved the problem by wearing this pin. No, institutional change needs to happen. And in this case, at a legal level. Yeah. And there needs to be arguably a separate movement or it needs to be encompassed into Me Too to take this down as well. It's not enough to take down single individuals who aren't protected by institutions. I mean, taking down Harvey Weinstein, he was the leader of his own institution. So you make that public, the institution collapses. Yes. What about those who are protected by the institution and whose conduct, I guess, is deemed appropriate in the sense that it is more okay for them to do this than it is for the institution to lose their reputation. Period. Something needs to be done. I would love to see someone step up or some some sort of movement or or I would love to see the legal system step up to be honest with you but it's just so hard to prosecute these kind of things and, and these bystanders uh moving on though I mean I'm sure we'll have tons I, I could go on about this topic forever to be honest just because yeah it is so absolutely egregious but let's move on to immigration because I know we have some more things <laughs> to get through yeah so I mean I'm sure you've been hearing I'm assuming you've probably heard more about immigration and Russia and all this than the Nasser case. So let's begin to bore your ears off with immigration. So now all this, how did Donald Trump, it's amazing. In, in one week, Donald Trump can be both Amnesty Dawn and also 
according to Nancy Pelosi, trying to make America white again, which is amazing considering that he wants to legalize almost 6 million people who are not currently American citizens based on his immigration plan. So Okay, I disagree with you there. Okay, okay. So, so, so just the breakdown of what happened. Yes, after we departed last weekend, the government did shut down. It lasted roughly uh, two and a half days. So, and nothing happened except for a continuing resolution that basically means the government will shut down again in two weeks if we don't uh, pass another one. So really nothing was made. Uh, I guess if you're a Republican pessimist, you can say that we lost the chip card. If you're a Democratic pessimist, you can say it just sort of showed that Schumer doesn't really have a plan. Both sides didn't make that much progress, but I guess at least the government is funded, which I, as a conservative, do not really care about. So... What is the plan that Donald Trump has released? He basically, so the White House, basically, I think it was two pages, um, and it's it's a compromise. I was personally pleased, and I might be the only person in America who's pleased by his plan. So he says, not only providing amnesty to DACA recipients, but a path to citizenship for 1.8 million people here illegally, terminating chain migration but allowing 4 million people who are waitlisted on the chain migration um, list to be admitted here legally or to be legalized as citizens, and then terminating chain migration, ending the diversity visa lotto, um, and cutting immigration in half, also receiving $25 billion in wall funding. So it, it fulfills something for everybody. Both sides are furious, though. Both sides are furious. I, again, this might just because I'm a radical immigration centrist. Um, yeah, no, Nancy Pelosi is literally saying this is a part of Trump's plan to make America white again, which is funny considering he's about to legalize six million non-white people as citizens. But Avery, I would like your take on this. So I, gosh, okay. The lefties are going to be disappointed with me here, but I don't hate this plan. And, and let me tell you why. Because the wall Government, is nothing. Well, well the, the, actually, the main caveat of this plan that I do despise is the $25 billion in wall funding because that is just a complete waste of taxpayer dollars. Because the second you, but the second you guys take over the House, and I'm sorry, like I shouldn't be up this much of a pessimist, but the second Democrats take over the House, you guys get power of the purse again and like the wall funding can just be uh, diluted. Still, like, let's not divert resources where it's an absolutely futile mission. Futile. This one, the wall will never happen. Why are we taking $25 billion of taxpayer dollars when we are already in a severe deficit and could allocate those funds so much better? Maybe allocate some of those funds to the EPA whose, whose funding has been cut. Just a suggestion, considering we are in one of the hottest years on record. Anyways, that's the part I despise. Scott Pruitt needs more money. <laughs> that's the part I despise. The other parts... All right, so Democrats, we didn't... Get, we don't get everything we want from this bill. But was that ever a reasonable expectation under our Republican-controlled House and Senate and government? It shouldn't have been. So we have to be realists here. The most that we can hope for in government and as people who belong to opposite political parties is to hope at least for a compromise in bipartisanship. And, and I mean, that, again, ties into the ethos of our podcast, right? So... Tiana and I, I'm a liberal, she's a conservative, yet we have such polar opposite views on a lot of things, but we're always able to find a way to compromise and, okay, I can agree on this common ground with you, we can make this happen, we can, we can come to an agreement on something. 
That is the same standard government should be held to. And so as long as people are trying to work across the aisle on some bipartisan measures, I'm okay with that. We're not, you're not going to have your cake and eat it too. Dems, we lost the election. We should have done more. But you have to take what you can get. <clears throat> and pardon me, obviously, you can probably tell from my voice and my coughing that I am a little sick right now. But It's been a long week for you, Avery. <laughs> yeah, Tia, I'm going to let you take this away while I chug some water. So, okay, Here's, with regards to this whole debate, I think a major issue is that people are not debating in good faith. <coughs> I'm... All right, do you honestly think that this plan is a part of Trump's mission to make America white again? I believe... I think that Trump is racially ambiguous in the sense that he's tone deaf. He grew up in Jamaica states. He's never been to a bodega. He doesn't understand New York to be a diverse place that it is. <coughs> and I... I don't think that he holds specific racial animus as much as he does cultural animus. Obviously, saying that Mexico sending over its rapists and murderers is deeply insensitive and is a racist remark. I don't know if it's because he hates the ethnic origins of people or because he assumes all cultures that are not his are uncivilized, which is wrong. But, but I'm just, what do the Democrats want? What do they expect to get done? It, Trump's coming up with a lot more of a... Like, if I were in charge of this bill, I would not be offering all of these people citizenship. I'd be offering them amnesty. And I think that I'm one of the one of the few people on the right or who, who see this as a massive distinction between amnesty and citizenship. Because amnesty is taking... Amnesty is being humane, in my opinion, to the 800,000 people who are, are here in this country illegally through no fault of their own. Granting them amnesty is saying, you guys will not be punished. You do have the right to work. You do have the right to live here as though you are a citizen. Citizenship is a higher reward, and it also gives you the right to vote. Citizenship is a reward. You have to earn it. And to me, it feels unfair that... I, I think that there is a massive distinction to be made that a lot of people aren't making on the right. And uh, on the left, you guys all just think that if it's not, like... It's, it, it, I, 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 I think that there's very little nuance between the amnesty citizenship thing on both sides. I absolutely think citizenship should be awarded for uh, dreamers because it is the very reason that they did not have those distinct rights in terms of voting and everything, that, that, they, that they almost had no voice in this matter. And, and so that should be prevented from ever happening again. And so... Giving them the right to vote, great. That is the right thing to do, in my opinion. Well, and and this could potentially play well in Republicans' favor. I mean, so you could take the one argument, right? Giving all of these people who potentially feel marginalized by the Trump administration and, and attacked to some degree, giving them the right to vote, this is probably bad for Republicans, they'll just vote against you in the next election. Or you could say, hey, we got citizenship that's actually kind of more than what we could necessarily get as easily under the Obama administration, maybe we'll vote Republican. I mean, I personally wouldn't like that, but that's a possibility as well. But okay, but my point is, what do Democrats want? So so, so what Trump is proposing is, far, the, is, is more generous in the citizenship question than like what I and I think some other conservatives would propose. So much so that um, I know like the Ann Coulter base of the Republican Party, like the people who, who said, in Trump we trust— 
They're furious about this. So I just don't know what else the Democrats want. Oh, uh, to be honest, I don't either. I think the leadership of, uh, you know, you're not a very good political scientist or even just, I don't know, person of a political party if you cannot critique those within it and understand the faults lying within. And I would hope, regardless of people's partisanship, that they are always able... And, and it, the same thing goes for, for news, right? When you see... We've talked about this before. When you see a biased article, understanding it for what it is and not just this blind support of partisanship. So you have to be able to criticize the leadership and, and to criticize the, the faults that exist and, and, and identify those. And I think at this point... The Democratic leadership, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too. And as I already said, Republicans control the House. They control the Senate. We have a Republican as president. What more can you expect? Wait till 2020. Get all the stuff, the extra goodies that you want. But this is, you know, we caught Trump on a good day with this one. Let's let's do this deal here. So we are the only two people in America who actually think this is an okay bill. Or an okay, like, compromise. I'm, I'm just trying to take what we can get as Democrats, right? I would rather have some people protected than no one protected at all. And I'm, and that's what it should be, right? And, and if the politicians on the left side were thinking about it in terms of a numbers game and, okay, what's better, saving no one or saving hundreds of thousands or millions of people over just, you know, trying to far- fight because we're, we're of a political party, right? What's better? And so how can you honestly make the argument that you're fighting for these immigrants if you're getting stuff that can help them and not approving that and, and not being amicable to those solutions? Well, also, f- from a moral perspective, why is there not a f- higher philosophical weight granted to the people who are already here rather than people that could potentially be here in the future? It's if someone isn't already here to me, I don't feel more responsibility for them. If a ch- and this is I know an appeal to pathos, but if a child is dumped here when they're two, literally through no fault of their own, I think that there is a I think there's a greater moral responsibility on lawmakers to make sure this person at least like has a future, even if it's not in America, to make sure. Oh, do they speak the language of their home country? If not, then again, and I said this last week, I don't think that that um, DACA Americans, for lack of a better term, um, or for childhood arrivals, I don't think that they have a right to be here. But I do believe that if you haven't been committing any crimes, if you have been contributing to American society, you've earned the privilege of being here. And and so, yeah, to relate to our argument on last week's podcast or basically any other time that we've talked about immigration— uh, I think that those are things that grant you the right to be here. And so it's similar to your argument, but it takes it a step further in saying that those are the things that allow you to be here and, 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 that, and that give you the right to be here because you've proven yourself. And I agree with you. Let's protect the people that are here already. The people that are here already, we know, we have in a, in a sense vetted them because... We can see their kind of track record yeah. within the country. We can understand if they're standing citizens or not. Um, you know, you look at the uh, the El Salvadorians and the, their protected status that they had, and they were paying taxes. They were working. Same thing for Dreamers. Going to school, getting a college education, making the most of their time here. Let's protect these people. Okay. I don't care how you got here. You're here now. 
rather than making you all basically illegal aliens in this country and not having any way to track you or to have you pay income taxes because you know they're still going to stay here regardless if you tell them to leave or not because they have no other option. All right, let's make you citizens. Let's get you social security numbers. Let's get the tax dollars from you working. Yeah. And yeah, so as Democrats, that should be something that we're jumping all over. With the policies on stricter immigration for people who are now trying to come here and not already here, all right, would I like to see those maybe a little less? And, and would I like to see those policies as a, little, as a little more welcoming? Absolutely. But, you know, I'm also a realist, and I can also understand that that's not a realistic expectation with a Republican government. And and the fact that Democrats can't see that, I just... It, is mind-boggling. Yeah, well, well, chain mig- well, legal Im- legal immigrants who have come here through chain migration and illegal immigrants who are here wouldn't be a problem if we didn't have such a heavy welfare in- infrastructure. I've been beating this drum for a very long time. I wouldn't care if we had a pure meritocracy if you just if we had totally fungible borders with the exception of um, of criminal history. I have no problem with someone coming, working here from an economic perspective that's good for us. The issue is that we do have welfare. and uh, but, but the funny thing to me is that stocks are up 44% since the election. Um, tax reform has been an absolute success, despite the fact that the Russia investigation has been going on for a year. There's still nothing damning for Trump particularly. Yet, Breitbart, guess how many comments are on the uh, White House uh, uh, immigration proposal article. I'm not sure. Uh, Thirty four thousand. <laughs> yeah, Breitbart's okay, that mad. was nowhere close to what I was thinking. Breitbart is Breitbart is mad. Breitbart is yeah. mad. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, speaking of Russia, <laughs> another week, another nothing burger. This time on both sides. So at this point, you might have heard about the hashtag uh, "release the memo," and it's referring to a memo written by. Uh, Devin Nunes, the Republican uh, House member, and it's the the major point of contention within the memo is about the Steele dossier. So right now the allegation, so there there are two main controversies, or there are three main controversies right now with Trump Russia. One, did the Steele dossier, which was essentially Democratic oppo research, instigate the Trump Russia investigation? Two, were FBI agents actively not pursuing Hillary while pursuing Trump. This is with, like, this Peter Stroke, uh, Lisa Page text messages that have been released. And then um, three is the New York Times report that Trump was about to fire Robert Mueller in June, but it was only because uh, White House counsel threatened to resign if he did so. And now people on that third point are saying obstruction of justice. I don't think it counts if he didn't actually do it. And also Trump did say he would surround himself with all the best people. And if the people kept him from not firing Mueller, then, you know, maybe they are the best people. Yeah, so just a couple quirky things and issues that I have with this. So there's this movement on the Republican side of things, hashtag release the memo. Yet the Republicans are the ones who have the authority to declassify the information and release the memo. So if there wasn't any damning information in it to you, wouldn't you be releasing it? It's it's kind of this weird I don't game of of saying, "Oh, yes, if we would I mean, let me pull up Donald Donald Jr.'s tweet. 
The Democrats are lucky Republicans are honorable people. If we played the game like they do, the memo would be all over CNN and everywhere else by now. Maybe it's time we stoop to their level. Hashtag release the memo. Okay, Just call dad. Exactly. Call daddy, right? And, okay, fine. Take that for what it is. It's this damning memo potentially on Democrats. But then you see Republican Mark Meadows describing it as alarming and saying, quote, I thought the contents of the memo could never happen in a country that loves freedom and democracy like this country. So if this memo is is so great for Republicans and so poor for Democrats, then why the heck aren't you releasing the information? I think, in terms of my own personal opinion, that the Republicans who are saying hashtag release the memo are doing so to pretend as if there is damning information on Democrats when really it is the exact antithesis of that. Well, okay, it's difficult right now to say anything, and that's the reason why I kind of have always hated the Russia story, because we don't know anything. Yeah, because we're talking we're, about nothing right well, now. Well, we are talking about, we, we, we are, we are, this is, this is, I mean. And we always have been and always will be <laughs> until we find this smoking gun that may or may not exist. The fact that there are so there's stories every week on Russia, but with no substantive information or quality to them whatsoever. Like, honestly, I don't care about George Papadopoulos. I don't care about Carter Page. I, we always knew that Paul Manafort was a creep who was bad with his money. I don't care until there's evidence. Yeah. Show me the evidence. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, all smoke, no, no fire. So, he, okay, here's... To, uh... David French makes this point pretty well at National Review. Release the memos and release the evidence. Because right now, if we just receive one memo from Devin Nunes, and then who's the Democrat who's trying to release their own memo? It's another Democrat who's now trying They're now trying to write. I think it's, it's probably Adam Schiff or someone like that. Now the Democrats want to write up their own memo and release that. I don't care about their memos. I want to see what led to FISA warrants being issued. I want to see the actual, because at, at this point, what are we working off of? And then furthermore, I mean, this is not how this is supposed to be going. This, Mueller is supposed to be doing this investigation in private, and there shouldn't be this much. I mean, it's it's almost as though a very serious investigation has just become another political horse race. And these investigations should be private to begin with. Yeah. The media and and the because wow the politicization of it only detrimentally affect an investigation, right? And, and when it's not able to run impartially without media and all these other factors weighing in on it, and so my thing is, you're advocating as Republicans, not you in particular, but many Republicans um, are advocating for this documents release. Yet they're they're the ones holding it and and the ones that have the ability to release it. And so it even ties in with many people of the Republican Party who have been uh, investigated or interrogated to to some extent just withholding information. I mean, the classic, I do not recall, from Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Uh, If you have nothing to hide, then talk all you want. But no one's talking. That's... That's the the fishy thing to me and the fishy thing probably to the FBI. And so this is only going to continue if people start talking. But it, in my opinion, only continues to look worse the less people talk and the less people disclose information because the more you have to hide. And so hopefully the truth comes out, like one way or another. If we're going to continue to get 
bathtub quantity leaks, we might as well just see everything at this point. Because this has been going, I, I have a feeling, I think that we're drawing to the close of, you know, this like Russia investigation. It's hard, it's, imp- it's impossible to, to see, but I think right now the biggest crisis is not about, I mean, I know that on the left so many people in earnest think that, think that Putin has Trump on speed dial or something. But I think that on the right, the major concern is the idea, has the FBI been politicized, has been compromised? Did it use Democratic oppo research to build an entire case to wiretap Carter Page? Did it Did it use Democratic oppo research? Well, we don't if know because no one's talking. If we're having this much of a crisis of confidence, release everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, whether good or bad, release it. Anyways, I'm sure we will have plenty more to talk about with Russia. We could we could talk about Russia every podcast with how many because at this point stupid, it's all conspiracy. It's all conspiracy with how stupid how many stupid news stories come out about this and, and conspiracy theories. And so I'm at the point where, all right, if you're not going to show me any substantive information and it's all circumstantial and hearsay, then why are we covering it? Anyways. Next week, who knows? Maybe we will have something substantial and a bit, and we will finally uncover the big, quote, smoking gun. Uh, until then, though, uh, exciting news. You guys can catch us on iTunes. We're officially on iTunes everywhere. Um, so if that's your go-to podcasting app and you have an iPhone, feel free to search us, The Political Pregame, on iTunes. And subscribe and, and toss us a rating, too, please. Uh, as always, we'll be on SoundCloud. And also, as always, feel free to give us a comment on whether it be SoundCloud, iTunes, or if you want to tweet at us, agree with us, disagree with us, want to tell us something cool we should be talking about, you can find us on Twitter at Avery Hogarth or at Tiana the First. Uh, Take care, everyone. Have a good weekend.